you know, Isaiah, being restored by that hot coal from the, off, off, from the altar. And I don't suggest you try to do that in an object lesson of any kind. But as, as he's restored into relationship with God, then he can know him. It's then that he hears from the throne the voice saying, Who will I send? And who will go for me? And, and Jesus, or, or rather Isaiah, as perhaps you might also respond, hearing God's heart says, well, Hear my Lord. Send me. And the Lord says, All right, I'll send you. But it isn't going to be easy. It isn't going to be all rainbows and unicorns. It isn't going to be a life of ease, a bed of roses. It's not going to be wonderfully, marvelously successful. In fact, Jesus quoting Isaiah 6, the Lord's response concerning the people that Isaiah will be sent to. They will indeed hear, but never understand. They will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, and hear with their see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. The Lord says, I would heal them, but they won't see it. They won't hear it. He tells Isaiah to go, to tell, and yet they're not going to hear. Do you ever identify with Isaiah? Do you ever feel like, you know, I've been there. I have tried to tell, but no one hears. No one understands. I guess I'm just no good at evangelizing. I'm just not, you know, some people are, some people just have an easy time of, of sharing their faith and people respond and I'm just not like that. I guess, I guess God just hasn't given me the ability to, to evangelize. I guess I'll, I'll just withdraw. I will leave that to others. Have you ever felt like that? That sharing your faith fruitfully with somebody is just not something God's given for you. It's for somebody else. Well, Mark chapter 4, addresses that reality. That it is true that, that, that God has chosen us to be with him and to be sent by him. And yet, people aren't going to hear. Well, some will hear, but many are not going to hear. The responses are not going to be what we wish that they would. And how do we make sense out of that? How do the disciples themselves make sense out of Jesus' ministry when he teaches and he says such wonderful things and yet some just inexplicably oppose him right out of the box? Others seem to come along at first and yet they fall away. The crowds come, but the crowds go. What's to make sense out of this? I mean, Messiah was supposed to be a stone cut without rocks, rock from heaven that, that, that fell to the earth and, and destroyed the empires of this world and grows into a whole mountain, his kingdom that fills the whole earth. These crowds should be increasing and growing and increasing and growing. So first, all of the nation and ultimately all the world will be on board. And it's not happening. 
And Jesus is preparing his disciples to understand what is happening. And Mark is taking these episodes and he's assembled them together to prepare the church at a time when persecution is increasing in the 60s in Rome and from Rome. So that the church would be strengthened in knowing what role are we playing here? What is going on and how do we make sense out of the realities where the gospel is so good and yet the response sometimes seems to be thin. Not what we had hoped for. Not what we expected. And so in Mark chapter 4, we, we are introduced to the seed, soils, and sowers. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is again beginning to teach beside the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Again, with Mark, the crowd's often in the way. And the crowd wants to crowd around. They want to get in. They want to move in. They want to come close. They want to, they want to touch. They want healing. They have, they have this demand and that urgent need. And Jesus' greatest desire is to teach them the truth of God. He has come to show the Father. They want the benefits, and they want it now, please. They want to supersize it. And Jesus is not walking around Galilee looking. I wonder if there's somebody I could heal. Could I please find somebody? Does anybody need healing? His goal is not coming to clear out the hospitals. His goal is to proclaim the kingdom. And the compassion of God causes him to heal all along the way. God cares about the brokenness of humanity. And yet he has much that he wants to tell all of these people who are gathering in. So to be able to tell them, he has to actually create some distance. He gets into a boat in this little cove. In fact, it's called Sower's Cove or the Cove of the Sower. It's just a short walk down from Capernaum where you can still see the, the foundations of the synagogue. You can, still see, you can actually see what the early church in the first century even in the, in, in the 60s, uh, believed to be the house of Peter where, where things all started. And just, just a short walk from there, there's this cove. It's called the Cove of the Sower. I'll show you a picture of it. It's actually a natural little amphitheater. And in that place, they've done tests where somebody at the water's edge or even in a boat out a few feet from shore, separated from the crowds, can be heard by people sitting all over those banks all the way back to the highway. So you could fit, you could seat 7,000 people in that little arena. So don't, don't, don't worry about how could it possibly be. They've done tests. I, I saw a video this week of somebody standing at the shoreline. You, you couldn't even hardly see him because the camera that, that, that was recording this was up above the road. You could hear the birds quite loudly, but you could hear the person at the shoreline reading the parable of the sower from that far away. The, the, the acoustics just, just cause the sound to travel. So Jesus sets up in this little arena. I know some of you that traveled to, traveled to Israel with us, you're thinking, why didn't you take us there? Why didn't you show us that? Yeah, I know, I know. So much to see, so little time. Next time we'll do four days in Galilee. And yet in this spot, in this little cove, setting some distance between, he's teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Now, this parable of parables, this parable of the sower, it's the only one that I know of that begins and ends with the word, listen. 
Hear this. It's the same word, start and stop. Another one of those mark and sandwiches. It's important that we hear this. In fact, that word hear or listen, that word occurs 11 times in 24 verses. Almost every other verse it's there. Seems to be a theme. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, even a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him listen. Let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given, to, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. It makes it sound like the parables are used to hide stuff from people. And yet everybody understands the parables are a masterful teaching device. The parables are taking this, this theological truth and laying it down in common everyday terms, parallel alongside to it so that people can understand it. The parables are made to be heard, to be understand. And yet, they indeed see but not perceive. They indeed hear but do not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And now he begins to explain it. The essence of the parable is this. Many people are going to be told. Some are going to bear fruit. Many, or some, rather, are going to outright reject. That's the first thing he says here. The sower sows the word. He doesn't identify who the sower is. We're going to come back to that. Some sometimes identified the Lord of hosts, or the, or, or the Son of Man is the sower. The Messiah is the sower. But here, the sower is not. The sower just sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. There's this hard path, and, the, and the, the, the seed doesn't fall into the soil on the hard path. It stays on the surface. It doesn't penetrate. And the birds come along, and they say, lunch. Feed the 5,000. Feed the birds. And so the, the seed, the Word of God, the truth from Jesus' teaching is not able to penetrate. This is like the scribes. This is like those who are already hardened. We've, we've, we've met the scribes already. The first time we meet them, they are shocked that Jesus would dare to say, your sins are forgiven. Who is he to say such a thing? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Precisely. And so they come up with an alternative answer. We know he's not from God, so he must be from the devil. They planted that stake. That's a pretty serious conviction. They have hardened their hearts. They have outright rejected him right out of the box. They refuse to believe. It's not because the gospel is unbelievable, but rather it's because, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It's not that God has blinded their eyes. The God of this age, the enemy, has blinded their eyes 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God intends for his son to be known. He intends for his gospel to be heard. God is not hiding the gospel from anybody. Now there are others in the the explanation of the parable. And, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I think these are like the crowds. The crowds come. The crowds see some benefits. The crowds see exciting things happening here. They want to be a part of it. Who doesn't want to be part of a growing movement? This is exciting. Things are happening. And look, there's bread and fish. People are getting healed. This is wonderful. And yet along the way, the crowd falls away. Jesus begins to say some hard and demanding things for those who would follow him. And many stop following. So the crowds come and they grow and they swell and they clamor and yet they fade again. And then there are some. There are some, there are ones sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So it it begins to grow. They hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Other things get in the way. Other distractions get in the way. Other temptations get in the way. Other desires turn their heads in a different direction, and they do not produce fruit. As he told the parable at first, they begin to grow, but they don't produce fruit. And then there are the last. There's that good soil that produces unexpected growth. 30, 60, even 100-fold. Now, I don't know a lot about farming. So I did some reading, some research. I found this exhaustive study. If you'd like, if, if you'd like some real in-depth knowledge about wheat farming in Nebraska, I've got a study for you. I can get it to you on PDF. But, but part of the, one of the takeaways was a good harvest of wheat, depending on the conditions, depending on the quality of the seed, the fertilizer, the irrigation, and so forth, but a good harvest can range anywhere from 24 to 120 fold. Means you throw a sack of seed in the ground and you're going to get, all things being well, anywhere from 24 to 120 sacks back out of that ground. That's how it works. That's a pretty good harvest. Now, that's with irrigation. That's with sprinklers that drive themselves across the field. Isn't that pretty cool? You seen that? Or that go around in a circle around a central well. That's clever. I don't know who came up with that, but wow. I just fly over. I see these circles down the ground. Look at that. That's with fertilizer. That's with all this engineering. You know, your genetically modified grain for that genetically modified food you're so crazy about. Yeah, 
Those abundant harvests come out of all of that. None of that existed in the first century. You know what a, first, a good harvest in the first century was? It was somebody who's walking along a field like this. Let's get our field up there. That's a field just outside of Hebron. You can see the rocks. You see the thorns. You can see some dried grain growing. In a field like that where somebody's picking rocks out of the way and is walking along and, and, and they're plowing, but they're plowing with a, with a simple plow pulled by an oxen back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, or, or, or maybe a donkey or maybe a couple of guys. That's what teenagers are for, right? And they're just throwing seed back and forth, just walking along up and down all day long, throwing seed and praying for rain. That's the, that's the extent of farming technology, Okay. An average yield with a sack of seed thrown across the ground there was 10 sacks of seed in return. That was a good harvest. And you would save 10% of that back to sow again in the next planting. So when Jesus talks about 30-fold, that's three times normal. When he talks about 60-fold, that's 100-fold, 10 times the normal harvest you would have expected. So there's going to be a lot of places in the field where you shouldn't expect the seed to grow or you shouldn't expect the seed to be fruitful. But there are places, there are people where it's going to grow beyond your wildest expectations. It's going to grow beyond anything that would be naturally or humanly possible. The fruitfulness, the fruit of the Spirit, the growth into the image and likeness of Christ in us is going to be beyond our expectations, beyond our ability to make it happen. God is going to do that. That's how his harvest works. Now, in the midst of all that, though, God does not force people. Verses 11 and 12. God does not force people. There is, this, there is this faithful messengers that God sends even when people don't want to hear. Noah preached for a hundred years. Nobody joined them in the ark. The prophets were ridiculed and slandered, canceled, jailed, tortured, killed. These were those of whom the world was not worthy. People like Isaiah who went, and you thought Isaiah was wonderfully successful. I mean, he got 66 chapters. Isaiah was wonderfully faithful. The nation did not turn. In fact, after Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is commissioned, what happens in Isaiah 7? He goes to the young king who desperately needs to hear from God, but will not. He says, I got my own plan, got my own strategy. I'm going to join St. Frank Sinatra and do it my way. And his tribe continues. There's a combination here in the parable between human response and God's working. Verse 11, to you it has been given. God is at work. And yet, having ears, they hear not. There are the crowds, there are the scribes, and yet they have opportunity. Verse 21, there's a lamp there's a, uh, that, that's brought into the picture to illustrate that God is given opportunity. God is not hiding his truth. God is not hiding the gospel from anybody. He said to them in verse 21, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing is, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. 
With the measure you use in hearing, it will be measured back to you in perceiving. And still more will be added to you. It will be given to you to understand these things. Jesus is using the illustration of a lampstand. You don't bring a lamp into a dark room and then put it under a, under a basket. No, you let the light shine. You don't hide it. God's purpose was for Messiah to be seen and heard and believed. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came as light into the world. The light which lights every man. But men loved darkness rather than light. That's the problem. The problem is not that there is no light. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth his handiwork. People don't want to hear. That's the problem. That will continue to be the problem. And yet there will be those that do hear. There will be those that to whom it has been given. That made, the, the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That the principle that comes out of Leviticus 24 is the same principle out of which comes that, that, that mindset of justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, in terms of hearing, you want, you want light from God? You want, God, would you give me understanding and insight into your word? Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word, the psalmist said. What are you doing with the light that you've got? What are you doing with what God already shows you? With the measure that you use, how are you listening? Are you making time? God, I'm here because I want to hear from you. Are you carving out time at the start of your day to say, God, speak to me from your word. Feed me for the day. With the measure that you use, he says it will be given to you. So there's a a balance of our responsibility as well as God bringing light. And there will be surprising growth and fruitfulness. Those those are the last two parables in the string. Verse 26, he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Scatter seed on the ground. And he, he sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how? The earth produces by itself. There's our word automate. The, 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 the ground seems to produce from this seed automatically on its own. The man doesn't do anything more to make it happen. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And it's a wonderful, abundant harvest. And God has done this. I'm reminded of the story of the preacher visiting one of his farmer folk in his congregation, and he pulls out there, and he's, they're, they're leaning on the fence together, and he's looking over the field, and he says, boy, God has sure given you a wonderful harvest here in this field. And the farmer looks and says, God, give me this? He said, you should have seen it when God had it to himself. Farming is hard work. There is labor to be done. But imagine a farming without Fertilizing without irrigation. God said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you, Israel, an abundant land. A land flowing with milk and honey. But it's a land where you're going to have to trust me to water the earth. There's not going to be a Nile River for you to draw water out of in this rich Nile Delta and there's floods every year and, and you got all the water you need. No, you're going to need water from me. And that was God's judgment when the days of Elijah it dried up for three years. 
They understood their role in this. Clear the rocks, weed the thistles, sow the seed, and God gives the increase. Isn't that the way that Paul put it? One plants, another waters, and God gives the increase. And so we sow the seed. We witness. We share our faith and we say, God, would you, would you bring it home? I had somebody tell me years ago that our job is to get the word of God to the eardrum and ask the Holy Spirit to take it from there. Unless the Spirit works and penetrates into the heart, there will be no fruit born. When I was a kid, I had a hearing problem. Some of you maybe have a hearing problem. I had these wax plugs in my ears, and they needed the, the doctor. It wasn't just that you could put the you know, warm water and flush it out, or, or the, there's stuff in there you can put to dissolve the wax. No, they, the doctor still had to go in and dig out these little hard bits of wax, dug them right out of my ear canal. Ouch. It hurt, especially when you're like five. You know, poor little Bob. <laughs> Traumatic experience. But I remember the... Um, the, the, the psalmist says, my ears you have opened, or here I am, Lord, an ear you have dug for me, is his words in Hebrew. God, dig open our ears. God, help us to hear. Because there's a lot of reasons that we don't hear well. This whole thing of growing automatically, it's, it's, it, it requires us, but it's beyond us. And it grows beyond what we would expect. It's kind of like you have a little baby, a little young one in your arms, you know, just out of diapers, almost the perfect age. You can still put them someplace, and by and large, they're pretty much there, or it doesn't take a lot to fence them in, right? And you have this little child, and oh, so sweet. But then before you know it, and I don't know how, that little one, is all of a sudden a teenager, taller than you, with acne, and your car keys. How does that happen? Where did the time... I mean, you, you, you feed them, you water them, and they grow. It's just like weeds. That's how it happens here. Inexplicably for us, that little will grow into much, the parable of the mustard seed. With what Jesus says, now he's, now he's pulling their ears in. He said, well, what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or, or what, what parable can I use? It's, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. Think of an herb garden. And all the other herbs in the garden, the mustard will grow 10 feet, 12, even up to 15 feet tall. It grows much larger from such a little seed. It grows much larger than all the others. And Jesus says the kingdom is like that. Larger than all the others so that it puts out its branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. There will be differences in the field. We need to understand the field in which we work. Not everybody will be enthusiastic to hear what you have come to know and believe about Jesus. Not everyone will be delighted to hear your testimony of faith. But some will. 
It'll bear fruit in some along the way. God does not force people, nor does he hide his truth. We cannot force people. Neither can we or should we hide God's truth from them. There will be surprising growth and fruitfulness. Bigger than we would think, bigger than we could imagine. What does that take? Let's, let's try to get a little practical now. What do growth and faithfulness require? And I want to go two directions here. I want to talk about soil and I want to talk about sowers. Let's talk about soil first. He's already used the soil to talk, to talk about people and how they respond, how they hear. So let's start with us. How do we hear? I'm not naive enough to think that there's not somebody in the room here today that actually fits the hard soil category. Right now, at least, the Word of God has not penetrated. When I was 16 years old, I sat in a church. And I, I was there because it made my mom happy that I was there, but that's really the only reason I was there. I went through the motions. I went along, but I didn't need this stuff. I was fine. I had my own way. I had my own plans, and on my time, I did my things. It hadn't penetrated. The seed lied on a hard path. It had not at that time been received. I don't believe God's truth was my stance in those years. And that could be yours. That could be where you are today. That's one possibility. Another possibility, perhaps for some of us, is, well, no, 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 the word has sunk in, but I'm partly hardened. Or I've got some hard-packed places. There are some places where I don't want to listen. The Word doesn't penetrate. I don't want to hear it there. I've got my shields up. I've got my defenses. I don't want to hear from God about that. Maybe it's a particular hot-button issue relates to something in your past. Maybe it's something like submission. Don't talk to me about submission, Pastor. Maybe it's, oh, here's a good one. Maybe it's about giving. Pastor, talk to us about God's grace, but don't talk to us about stewardship. Don't talk to us about giving. Because all the churches, all the time, every, right? There's, there are places, there is something that, okay, I want to hear from God, but not about this. Lord, we can go here, we can go there, but this room is closed. This room's off limits. This one I'm keeping for myself, at least for now. Is there some hard spots that needs to be softened. Pay attention to what you hear. He said, with the measure that you use in hearing is the measure it will be measured to you in understanding. Open my eyes that I may behold also takes us to open our eyes and read. It takes us to open our ears and hear. Lord, wound me if you need to. Confront me with your word because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And there is no better friend. There's no one that I could trust myself. You know, one of the things I love about our discipleship groups is this thing called Hear Journals. Now that fits so well with with Matthew chapter 4 because here is all through this here chapter. A hear journal... It's an acronym, H-E-A-R. H stands for highlight. In your reading each day, and the group reads the same passages through the week together so they can have some shared responses from God's Word. 
They can check in with each other. They can hold each other accountable. Are you hearing from God here? And we've been in the same ground together. Highlight a particular passage. This is a verse where God spoke to me. Highlight, H. E is then to explain it. Not just, okay, this is what it means to me, but what does the verse mean in its context? What is God saying here in the context of that passage? That I start with its meaning in its context to its audience that the speaker and those hearers would understand. And that leads then to an application that would be generally true. What principled application is true about, the, for instance, that, that verse that I quoted. Uh, uh, the psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Well, the explanation would be that the psalmist realizes that he needs God's spirit, God's illumining to understand what God's word says. The application of that for all time, people who want to hear from God should ask God to help them. God, give me light. That if I want to understand God's word, I need God's help to do that. That's an application. So what am I going to do? Now, now comes the response. What will I do differently? I will carve out time to hear from God in his word. I will determine to make time not just to read and fill the square. Okay, I read those chapters. I did my job. But I'm going to carve out time to read prayerfully. I'm going to spend time in prayer before I read, when I read, so that God can speak to me. That would be a response that I determine to make, steps I will take, action based on what the verse told me. A hear journal. Highlight, explain, apply it generally. Specific, personal, individual response. What will Bob do? I love that, that aspect of here journaling that I, I want discipleship groups. When these, when these present groups run their course and, and then people out of those groups grab, grab three or four other people and, and form another group and start going again, that, that that here journaling, that practice, that discipline of spending time in God's Word to hear from God, to apply it into life, to soften the soil, to plow the ground, will bring fruitfulness for us as a church family. I'm excited about that. There are those that are not rooted. They, they, they have skipped the explain, the understanding part. Often seeing something happen or seeing something claiming a promise out of God's word that you can get all excited about and yet it's not really what God said. I, I think of one. By his stripes we are healed. So there is healing in the atonement. So for any sickness I get, I can claim God's healing and God will heal. And then COVID came along. And people that I loved were not healed. They died. And I prayed. And yet they died. God, I thought you said, I'm disappointed with God. And I go my way. Maybe that's where you are. Because I took a promise and assumed it to mean something that it didn't mean. Maybe for you there's distractions. There's desires. There's other temptations that are blocking fruitfulness. Maybe there's some weeding that needs to happen in life. Because good soil, 
Soil that is fruitful, soil that is tilled and softened, the obstacles removed, distractions taken away. Good gardening takes discipline. Good gardening takes work. It doesn't just happen on its own. And yet, God's Spirit bears fruit. If we will hear, God's Spirit does bear fruit. Well, now let's turn it around. What about you're the sower and people around you are the soil? What can we learn from Mark chapter 4? Just as the disciples were sent, so the church in Rome is sent, so the church in Brush Prairie is sent. We are sent to sow God's seed in the world, to share the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We are called to bring light into darkness, to be lights in the world. Don't focus on an outcome that you can't control. Sow the seed. But, but trust God to give the increase. It's one of the reasons we pray as we tell, that we talk to God about people before we talk to people about God because God is the one who brings the increase. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. Now, as you sow, do you generously broadcast or do you target very specifically where you're willing to sow seed? I don't, I, don't, I don't say something, maybe you're thinking. I, 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 don't, I don't take a chance unless I see a good indication that that person's ready to listen. Or maybe there's one person that, that God has put on your heart, one person you focus on, one person that you're praying for, one person that you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel with. And you've got your eyes on that person, and while you're focused on that person, you're walking by others all around you who could be ones that you could also sow seed among. Interestingly, in the sower, he seems kind of wasteful with the seed, doesn't he? He seems to just willy-nilly throw it everywhere. The rocks, the paths, just wherever it goes, it goes. He's not careful. He's very liberal with his seed. Not conservative. To think about, I mean, if I was, if I was sowing seed, I wouldn't be wasting it on the sidewalk, right? Have you, have you ever used that moss killer stuff, you know, the stuff with the iron in it? And you throw it on the grass and it's supposed to kill the moss? But, but it says, don't get it on the sidewalk because what happens? You get rust spots all over your sidewalk. You don't want rust spots on your... So what you do, you stand on the sidewalk and you throw the stuff out onto the, onto the lawn, right? Throw it away from the sidewalk. That's what I would do if I was sowing the seed. But the sower doesn't do that. No, he throws that seed everywhere. He's generous with the seed. We're never going to run out of gospel. You can give it away all you want. You never know who... What you thought was thorny, what you thought was hard-packed soil, what you thought was clay and unfruitful, what you thought was stony and distracted, there God might surprisingly bear fruit. Don't let lack of response keep you from declaring God's grace openly. It's easy to get discouraged. To, to think that, you know, I guess this just isn't for me. You know, I've tried, but I don't see any response to my efforts to share the gospel, so I guess I'll just be quiet. I'll serve in some other way. I guess I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. But there are some people that are your people. There are some people that will hear it from you that won't hear it from somebody else. Go ahead and speak your truth. Tell your story. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have whenever people ask you about it. Be ready that they might ask, 
Give thanks for God's goodness openly. You can praise God publicly before the pagans. You're not putting anything on them. You're not telling them to praise God. Why would they? But you can praise God before them. You can give thanks. And in the midst of trouble, you can be ready to pray. Say, can I pray for you? I'm so sorry. Can I pray for you in that? And if you offer to pray for somebody, be sure to do it. And as you pray for them, check back in. I've been praying for you. How are you doing? How's it going? You demonstrate care and concern for them while you go to the throne in heaven on their behalf, interceding for them. You see, we are chosen by God to be with him and also to be sent by him. Don't let the reality that even though some won't hear, don't let that reality tell you that you cannot tell. Even with Jesus, who was the best teller of all, there was hard ground. There was stony ground. There was thorny ground. And there was fruitful ground. And so it will be for his disciples. So it will be for the church Mark writes to. So it will be for the Brush Prairie Church family. Plant the seed. Trust the Lord. Show and tell your faith and leave the results with God that it will grow. It can grow. Maybe at times, maybe in persons whom you would least expect it. Even a hundredfold. Let's pray. Father, would you do that? Would you give us, Lord, the courage to throw the seed? Lord, trusting you for the results, however and wherever they come. Lord, you have not called us to change anybody's heart. You've called us to share, to point them toward where they can find hope. Lord, would you use us? Father, would you give the joy of that even today? Lord, this week, maybe surprisingly with somebody around us that we did not expect, Lord, would you prompt a moment and an opportunity in which we might praise you, in which we might pray for someone, in which we might just describe our hope. We might plant a seed. And Lord, would you... Make that seed fruitful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.